a couple of things that I want to say to you this morning, kind of as we get started, and, and one of those things is, uh, you know, as a Southern Baptist Church, we are part voluntarily of a convention of churches, uh, some uh, thousands upon thousands, uh, literally around the world, and, and uh, just this past week, our president of our convention uh, gave us a challenge, 2025 challenge, and one of those challenges is to start 6,000 new churches in the next five years uh, to reach the, the population of the world for Christ. But one of those challenges, one of those five things was a renewed emphasis on kids, uh, a, in particular an emphasis on those between the ages of 12 and 17. Uh, and, and to be engaged in the issue of discipleship and evangelism for them because the truth is that, uh, you saw this in the video, if somebody doesn't come to faith by the age of 12, the chances of them accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior decreases by 50% every single year. So as a 13-year-old, they're 50% less likely to trust in Christ. As a 14-year-old, 50% less likely. Every year, it decreases by 50%. And so one of our emphasis as a denomination, uh, literally around the world, is to work towards a push to evangelize and teach kids the truth of who Jesus is. Hence, we're all wearing shirts, okay? And we want to encourage you to join us in that endeavor. Number two. Sometimes in my preaching, there are those moments where I tell you, in the Greek, this says. And I want to be very careful that I don't do that too much because I don't want you to think that the Bibles that we have today are not accurate translations. If you get a good translation of the Scripture, and there are many, many good translations, and make sure you have a translation and not a paraphrase, Okay. Uh, and, and there is a distinct difference. I've got a chart I'll be happy to share with you sometime that shows you, uh, shows us, literally, word for word, Greek, Hebrew, here are how they work. The New American Standard is one of the best uh, at being close to, as close to the original languages as you possibly could get. Uh, I use the ESV. It's like second or third. The NIV is a great translation. Uh, New King James, King James. Um, a lot of great translations, okay? So when I say something you, the Greek says, I'm trying to show you a little nuance, uh, just a little bit of something that's, that's there that our English language doesn't pick up. But I want you to understand, find a good translation and study it. You know, I'm often asked, what is the best translation of the Bible? My answer to that is the one that you will read, Okay. Um, and so when you hear me say that sometimes, don't go, well, does that mean that my Bible's not accurate? No, if it's a good translation translated from the original languages by a group of scholars who got together and said, this is what this means and prayed for each other, it's good. Use it, okay, and get involved. Now, having said all that, we began looking last week at promises to the church and what those promises are. Last week we talked specifically about the promise of power that that you and I were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The moment that we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we were empowered. And the power that you got is the same power that I got. Nobody got any more power uh, of the Holy Spirit than anybody else. Um, we're all, we all come to the, the, the foot of the cross the same way, okay? 
And so the power that you've been given is the same power I've been given. Deacons don't get more power. Elders don't get more power. Sunday school teachers don't get more power. I do think sometimes kids, people that work in the nursery and change dirty diapers, I think they get more power, okay? Um, but, but we all got the same power. This morning, we are going to look at the promise of fruit. What does it look like? The, the Word of God tells us, the Gospel of John, John's writing what we know is the 15th chapter, and he's talking about being Christ the vine. Christ is saying, I am the vine. And in John 15, 5, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So what is fruit? Okay, because sometimes when we hear fruit, at least I used to, I started thinking that that meant, you know, souls for Jesus. Okay, so I, the more notches I could put on my spiritual gun belt uh, of people that I, you know, how many scalps can I count for Jesus? And so I would think that that was fruit, you know, to bear fruit, and that's what fruit is. But we're going to look this morning at what Paul talks about as the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, okay? And we're going to look at how Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. This week and next week, we're going to look at the promise of fruit. What does that look like in my life and your life? In our lives, as we live equally empowered under the authority of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like for you and I to bear fruit? Now, as you think about the New Testament church, those guys bore fruit. But it wasn't always that they were out knocking on doors um, and, and, and evangelizing, pushing the gospel on people. You see, in that day and time, if you study church history, when a person would come to faith, sometimes they would lose. I mean, they could lose their family. They could lose their job. Uh, they could lose their standing in the community. They were persecuted. Uh, they were ridiculed. They were scoffed at. Um, they would endure hardship, sometimes famine. Um, some of them were martyred for their faith. They would be sent to, to fight in the arena against uh, gladiators or against uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. I mean, they would go and, and, and they literally lose their faith. But here's the deal. As they were going through those things, it was as they lived their faith in the face of persecution and hardship and famine and, and danger, as they lived their lives in peril, they did it with God's peace, God's love. They, they could be sent into to the lion's den and, 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 and literally be praying for the people who put them there. They could be uh, martyred for their faith, sawn in two, run through with a spear. And the whole time that they're going through those things, they're praying God's peace and God's joy and God's love on, on the people who are subjecting them to that. And it was as they lived their faith with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It was as they lived their faith in the midst of life, that it opened the door for people to go, hmm, what's that? I've never seen that before. And in that moment when, when somebody would ask them, how can you pray for me? Or how can you pray for me when I'm, I'm putting your father to death? How can you have peace when I've taken your wife from you? How can you that the early church was able to introduce them 
to the God-man, fully God, fully human, Jesus Christ. Perfect and holy, the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son of the living God. Who came to this earth and literally stripped himself of his power and his authority, his majesty and his glory and came to this earth to be born, taking on the, the form of a man, being born as an infant and making himself humble and subject to, to other things that you and I go through and lived a perfect, holy, sinless life and went to the cross for me and for you. And so as the early church lived their faith and, and they did it with, with God's peace and God's love and God's grace resting upon them, as they did that, it opened the door for them to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And as they shared that truth, people would say, I want to be a part of that. And they bore fruit. So this morning, we're going to look at the first part of what it means for you and I to, to understand the promise of fruit. Now, there is a difference between talents and gifts and fruit, okay? We, you can have a talent, Dallas and Melissa and Brad and Hannah and, and, and Sam and Diego, those guys have a talent okay they they have put hours practicing their instruments and they can play those instruments well and they do that for for god's glory that is a talent and anybody can develop a talent if you put in the time i could put in the time and i could develop the talent to play an instrument i i could do that if i if i really wanted to do that i could invest the time and do that there are gifts Melissa, Tara, Dallas are gifted. Donnie, they're gifted with the ability to sing. It's a gift. You can practice. I can practice that all I want. And it's not going to be any good. Okay? That's a gift. And then there's a promise. And the promise is something that is made because of who Jesus is to the church. And the truth about promises are they are for every single one of us. And so if the Word of God says this is the promise you will bear fruit, then it is a promise for you just like it is for the missionary who is living his or her life in, in peril in Nepal or in an Islamic country or, or somewhere else. It is the same power that is promised to everyone. So this morning we're going to look at what that looks like. How do you and I walk in the fruit of the Spirit? If you have your Bibles open there uh, to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor God's Word as we read it together. We're going to start in verse 16 as we work through this today. Paul writes to the church, to a group of people uh, probably multiple churches in the area of Galatia, and this is what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated, and may God bless His Word this morning as we read it together and study it together. So here's a couple of things that you and I, as, as, as we think about why, how should we, how do I, how does my life empowered because of who Jesus Christ is, how does my life, your life, our life, individually and collectively begin to bear fruit? Well, the first thing, some things that you and I have to understand, the first thing you have to understand, you have to realize is there is a war. Okay? And this is a war that is true for you and it's true for me. It's true for every single person. Now, there's not a war until you get saved. There's not a war until the Holy Spirit enters you. But the moment you and I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us that there is a war. Paul talks about it in verse 16 and 17. Let's read it again. This is what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a war. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the war, but before I do that, I want to show you a video, okay? So, this is a friend of ours. This is a kid, young man, grew up in Eastland. His name's Tip Stevenson. I don't know how much weight that is. That's like five plates on each side, I think, four or five plates. He's trying with all of his ability to lift that. Now, Tip grew up in our, our youth group in Eastland. He and his family were in our church. Okay. Um, and he's now a coach in Midland. Why a coach needs to work out like that, I have no idea. Okay. But, but anyway, he, he's a coach. He's older. He ought to know better. He's married. He ought to know better than to try to do that. But he tried with all his might to do that. He tried. He, he struggled. I want to tell you at the outset, the key to being victorious in the war is not trying harder. Okay? We get that a lot in our faith because that is so close to or so similar to the way our world runs. You know, if you work harder in your business, you make more money. If you work harder and do more, you get a raise. If you, if you do this as an athlete, if you train harder, you, you are successful. If you're, you play an instrument and you practice more and work harder and do more, you get better. I mean, there is this time in, time out thing that our world operates on. And so a lot of times we bring that idea to our faith. I want you to hear me say at the outset, it's not try harder in your faith. I mean, when we struggle with the flesh in our life, this war, this battle that goes on, Sometimes we think, well, man, if I'll just memorize more Scripture, if I'll, if I'll go to church more, if I'll, if I'll pray more, if I'll witness more, if I'll do more for Christ, then this battle is going to fall apart. This is not the secret to being victorious in the war that exists in the hearts and lives of every single believer. 
Number two, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith. It doesn't matter how deep your faith is. It doesn't matter how much time you've put in the faith. The Word of God tells us when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. He, he hears, he believes, he's blinded, he goes, Ananias lays hands on him, his eyes are opened, he's baptized. And then the Word of God tells us that for three years in there, somewhere in there, Paul was led into the wilderness and for three years, he was instructed by the resurrected Christ. Okay, Jesus taught Paul. Paul got a seminary degree crash course in three years at the foot of the resurrected Lord. That's not my words, that's in Scripture. Now, I want you to do a favor. Put your, put, do me a favor, do yourself a favor. Put your finger in Galatians 5, and I want you to flip back to Romans 7. If you mark or underline your Bibles out beside Galatians 5, write Romans 7. See Romans 7. Romans 7, and I want to start reading in verse 15. Paul writes and says, For I do not understand my own actions. For the things that I do not want, I do, but the things that I, I, but, but I do the very things that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, we're going to stop there just because we need to get on with what we're, I want to focus on. But I want you to understand, chapter breaks in most of the books of the Bible are put there by us. So whenever you're reading, don't stop without, because Paul said, if you stop at verse 26 there of chapter 7, it looks like we're divided people. That's not what this says. Okay, go on into chapter 8, because Paul in chapter 8 tells us how that's not the case for a believer. Okay, so, so as you and I work through this, what, what the war is not accomplished by is not accomplished by working harder. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith. Paul been in the faith. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul's struggling. He's struggling with the same thing. He says it's a war. He says this war is going on in my mind. And, and so what we begin to understand is that, that literally... I'm going to face this deal. Now, isn't that hope? Wait a minute, Pastor. You're telling me that every day, I, I'm going I'm to tell you this. This is true. Okay? Every day for the rest of your life, if you're awake, sometimes when you're asleep, there is going to be a struggle in your life between the things of God and the things of flesh. Isn't that hopeful? Joy. Now I want to tell you what the Word of God says. First of all, this is not an equal battle. 
This is not a fight between two equal forces. Satan's not playing with a full deck. Okay? He, he doesn't win. The Holy Spirit in you, the moment you came to faith, is going to deliver you and deliver me to deliver us, the children of God, whole and complete in Christ. He wins. God wins. So while I may face a struggle here in my life, the honest truth is I win. Christ delivers us. I get made whole in Christ. So as I go through that daily struggle, I go through it knowing I win. Christ wins. The Holy Spirit in me delivers me. Number two, because Satan is the father of lies and the deceiver, the moment I make the decision to submit to the Holy Spirit in me and walk with him, with Christ in my life, he immediately goes to work to deceive, to distract, to tempt, and to isolate. Okay, that's his job. That's his purpose. It's not an equal fight. The Holy Spirit is stronger. How do I know that? John 4, 1 John 4, verse 4. John's writing to the New Testament church, a church that he pastored. And he writes there, and he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist that's already in the world in that day and time. And he says it's a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of Antichrist. It sets itself up against anything led by God. And then he says this in verse 4, But you little children understand you have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's a war. But the person, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity who indwells the believer, not some force floating around, some mystical cloud that whooshes in but is with us all the time and walks with us and teaches us and encourages us and empowers us, the Holy Spirit wins. So there is war, but, but the second thing that's a part of that, how, okay, if that's true, how does that happen? Once you look at verse 24. In verse 24, Paul writes and says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, so here's the deal. I can know, even though I'm going through the struggle, there is a promised truth. And the promised truth is, yes, there's a war, but there's also a win. And the win comes because the believer, the child of God, has been, as Paul writes, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, as Wearsby writes about this passage in his commentary, he makes note that crucifixion is not something you can do to yourself. Somebody else has to do that for you, or in this case, somebody else did it for you. Somebody else did it for the person who enters into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus did it. And what, what Paul says is that Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. And that when I identify with him and, and believe that what he did is enough, I am in effect 
joining with him in crucifixion. And by faith, I believe that he died to break the power of sin in my life. Yes, there's a war, but we are not powerless in that war. You know, when I was growing up, there was a guy named Flip Wilson. Some of you remember it. Some of you are old enough. Most of you look at me like I'm, you're, I'm a nut, okay? There was this thing called TV, okay? And you got three channels, and you had to turn the aerial just right to get them. And one of those shows was the Flip Wilson show. And Flip Wilson had this character that he, he would dress, he'd dress up like Geraldine, okay? And Geraldine's favorite words were, the devil made me do it, okay? The devil does tempt us, deceive us, seek to isolate us and separate us. But I have the authority because Christ died to pay the price for my sin. And because I have crucified the flesh, he did that for me and broke the power of sin once and all in, in our life, my life, your life, as we walk away. How do I know that? Paul writes in Romans 6 and he says this, we know that our old self, Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. No authority. No power. We were crucified with him, for him, by faith. I believe that's done so that the, the law of sin has no authority in my life. Nothing. It's brought to nothing. And then he writes in verse 11 and he says, So consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. By faith, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. It is what is symbolized in baptism. My death to sin takes place before I ever get into the baptistry. I make a decision, you make a decision, we make a decision at some point in our life to say, I believe what Christ did on the cross is enough, and I believe by faith in his grace, I died to my sin. What he did is enough. He paid the price, it's over. That death to sin takes place before I ever get in the baptistry. But in the baptistry, symbolically, what I do is I identify that I have been crucified with him, buried, and raised to new life. It's a symbol of what has taken place in my life. And, and so as I work through that, I understand that. It means that I constantly walk in life. And, and we said this, uh, January the 5th, the, the Lord's Supper service, is one of the things I share with you that the Lord really has just been trying to, in, trying to teach me. And it's something I have to do a lot. And it is that I say constantly, I'm dead to that. And my that may be different than your that. But that I say, I'm dead to that, and I am alive in Christ. Now, feel me. Empty hands, you feel me. And what I realize is that there's a lot of that's that I have to be dead to. I, almost daily, I find another that. And the more I'm, I'm, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to, to guide me and direct me, the more that's that I see. And so I pray, God, I'm dead. I identify, I'm dead to that. If you can fill in the blank, and I am alive in Christ to your glory. Now, when I do that, there is a way. How does that happen? I want you to look back at verse 18, okay? Again, remember, it's not a try harder. It's not memorize more. It's not serve more. It's not do more. But I want you to look at what Paul writes in verse 18. 
He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Verse 13, he says, you were set free. It's freedom. It's not law. It's not doing more. It's being led more. It's understanding who I am in Christ. Now, I, I drew this. I, I want you to... Somebody told me yesterday when I was drawing this that my drawing's getting better. Okay? Yeah, I know. All right. Okay, so this is a boat, and it's sitting in calm water. Okay? See? Little bitty waves. No storm. Okay? What's this part of the boat called? The what? The bow. What's this part of the boat called? See, you can figure that out. I am getting better. All right? Okay? The bow is designed to take the waves. Okay? The stern is not designed. It's, it's flat. It's not designed to take the waves. The bow is designed to plow through the waves. If my boat is anchored and there's no storm, my anchor hangs straight down, and my boat will just drift around my anchor here and there. Notice the, oh, I didn't put a flag on that. Sorry. Okay, you a flag in the next picture. Okay. No storm, but then the storms come. And when the storms come, something has to change. Notice there's cloud, lightning, get it? Wind, big waves, flags tight, okay? But notice what happens. The anchor that I'm anchored to will pull my boat around so that the part of me that is designed to hit the waves hits the waves. And the waves don't swamp my boat. It doesn't matter how big the waves get, my boat will ride the waves as long as I am anchored. And that chain on my anchor may get pulled really, really tight. But the purpose of the anchor in that situation is to keep my bow, the thing that is designed within me to hit the storm, facing the storm. And that's not my strength, that's the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul says is, if I am led by the Spirit. If I'm anchored in, in who He is. So, so it's not do more, it's submit more. It's be led more. It's give that place to, to the person of, of the Holy Spirit. It, it's not pitting my will against the flesh. It's not saying, I'm, man, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going I'm I'm to grit it out. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not what it is. It is surrendering my will to be led by the Spirit. Now, I want to go back to the video of Tip lifting. I want you to watch what he does. Some of you coaches will probably see this. Okay, watch it again. He gets it up. Almost ready to press. Now there's a caption you can't see. Watch his head. Watch it again. Watch his head. He gets it up. Eyes up. Eyes down. He gets it up. Eyes up. Eyes down. And the caption says this. Where the gaze goes, the rest will follow. How do I submit? Eyes up. Who am I looking at? 
if I'm looking at all the stuff that's going on around me, if I'm, if I'm looking at the waves, Peter, if I've got my eyes down here on the stuff, where the gaze goes, the rest will follow. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith, eyes up, the rest follows. How do I do that? Colossians 3, Paul wrote, seek, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated in the heavenly realm. Set your mind on the things above, where Christ is. And settle in your life once and for all that I am dead to sin. If you're here this morning, you have a relationship to Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, what am I looking at? Am I giving the Holy Spirit time to work in my life? What am I gazing at? Where, where, what have I fixed my eyes on? And for a believer, that's the only question we have to answer. If you're here this morning, you have a relationship, what am I looking at? Where, where am I gazing? Am I giving the Holy Spirit time enough in the Word of God and in prayer and in thought about who He is? Even when I don't have my Bible open, am I walking through life moment by moment and minute by minute saying, Lord, I want what you want in this situation. Eyes up. I had a really bad week. Now, I didn't have a bad week the way some of you might think about a bad week. Okay, I'm going to explain to you I have a bad week. Okay? How many of you have a smartphone? Okay? That's an oxymoron in and of itself. Okay? (laughs) Smartphone. I had a bad week because I get this report on Sunday morning of how much screen time I had through the week. I got the report this morning. Man, I'm an idiot. Now, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I have a couple of shows that I watch. You know, they're all like guns and action. I watch the news. I told Kurt in the early service, I watch him because if it's not news at nine, it's history. I watch sports. Okay. I don't watch a lot of TV, but there is this game. It's a, it's a tank game. War machines. And I am really good at it. <laughs> Shouldn't be as good at it as I am. I had a really bad week. I saw that this morning. I was like, man, quit wasting your time. What are you gazing at? What are you giving time in your life? Because where the gaze goes, the rest is going to follow. Now, if you're here this morning and, and you're trying, okay, you are, you, are, you are just, man, you want this and you are pushing this and you are pursuing this, but none of it seems to make sense. In fact, maybe a lot of what I just talked about and said, you're going, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I want to I give you a possible option. 
could be that the honest truth is there's never been a time in your life where you truly understood that Jesus Christ died for you to forgive you and be Lord of your life. Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that in the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, verses 39 and 40. He looked at me and he said, you study the scriptures. You're working hard. You're pressing it out, man. You're, you're trying. You're doing everything you can do. You study the scriptures. And nobody studied the scriptures more than a Pharisee. You study the scriptures because you think in them you will have eternal life. But they point you to me, Jesus said. Verse 40, and yet you refuse to come to me to receive eternal life. Most of us, if we're honest, we walk through our faith wanting the shortcuts. Pastor, if you could just come in and give us a post-it note, two things I need to work on this week, then I'll go out and try to see if that works. Hey, we'd be in and out, you know, sing a couple of songs, do the offering, a couple of things, in and out, here, do this, do this. I'll try to work on that and see if it works this week. And the honest truth is we want a shortcut to our faith, and the reality is that doesn't work. You're trying to go into a supermarket and pick up a steak wrapped in cellophane and determine how it's going to taste without ever taking it out of the package and putting it on the grill. You got the cart before the horse. You can't know things about the faith until you know the author of the faith. What you may need today is a relationship to Jesus Christ. Well, you just quit. You quit trying to figure it out. You quit striving and working, trying to, to earn your way in, and you just believe by faith that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. And by grace, you are saved. And maybe that's where you are this morning. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. Melissa and the praise team are going to come lead us, and, and we're going to stand. And, 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 and guys, it's, it's a time to respond to what God is doing in our lives. And that response, maybe that means you come and kneel. Maybe it means you come and talk to one of us. Maybe some of you are sitting there saying, ain't no way in the world I'm going in front of that church. There may be some teenagers here or, or young kids or anywhere with your mom, and you're thinking, mm -mm, I ain't doing that. Good. You don't have to. There is nothing magical that saves you by coming to the front of the church. Not. I know it's really hard for some of us as Baptists to believe that. <laughs> but there's not. Right where you are, you can say, Jesus, I believe you're enough. And I want to put my faith in you, and I want you to forgive me of my sin. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about that, and you just want to tell mom or dad, and mom, dad, maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to them about that. That's why we're here. Find us after the service. We would love to talk to you about that. Maybe, maybe it would just be you'd take that card and say, man, pastor, I want to know if I got the cart before the horse. You just write on there your name and your phone number or your name and your email. I promise you we will get with you this week to make sure you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ based upon what the Bible says, not what we say. I want to encourage you to worship 
the response. I said this in early service. I'm going to try to tell this really quick. Guys, I really want you to understand the importance of what we're about to do. Okay? I don't, I don't do this. I don't do this because it's part of my tradition. I do this because every time Jesus shared himself, he gave somebody a chance to respond. I told the story at our service. If I've told you the story before, just ignore me. When I was pastoring, my first pastor in Santa Fe, Texas, a little church, mostly people that were older than me. There was a guy in the church, and my staff knows this story. They're probably back there running their fingers through their hair. That's what they do when I tell a story over. They just do this. Like, that's four times, that's three. If they do both hands, it's like I've told it a bunch. Stop. Johnny Trantham was a guy just like my granddad. Looked like my granddad, talked like my granddad. Served our country in World War II. Good man, came home from the war. Successful in his business, worked hard, raised a family, took his family to church. Johnny was lost. His wife, Lois, knew it. They sat third row every Sunday. I'd go by, went by, just visiting people, knew in church, started talking to Johnny. Johnny, Johnny knew he was lost. I've never done that, Pastor. Johnny, why don't you do that? I'm just not ready. Began a routine. I was there for seven and a half years. First five and a half years, every single week, I would go by Johnny and Lois' house, and I would sit there, and I would talk to Johnny, and I would pray with Johnny, and I would show Johnny, and I would pray for Johnny to be saved. Lois, pray. I'm not ready, Pastor. Johnny's old. Man, I was, I was, I was doing everything I could to, to lead Johnny to faith, and there was, there was, I could see God beginning to work in his life. And there was this one Sunday, man, I, I, I had the most evangelistic sermon I've ever, I think I've ever preached in my life. I try to present the gospel every Sunday, but this was for Johnny. And I preached that little country church. I, I preached, I just, I looked at Johnny the whole time. I didn't care if anybody else heard it. I didn't care if anybody else got it. I was just looking at Johnny. We came to the invitation and we stood and we began to sing Amazing Grace. And I, pro- I didn't care. I didn't care how long. We were on the 88th stanza. <laughs> That's preacher speak. We, were, we went a long time. There's a lot of stanzas to Amazing Grace. There's more than in our hymnal. Johnny's knuckles, we had pews. I, I could look at his hands. His hands were white. He was gripping the pews so hard. Lois was praying. I'm looking at Johnny. I don't care what's going on anywhere else. Johnny Trantham is going to get saved that day. We've been there a while. It was late. And there was a guy on the second row. I, I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know if he got a phone call. I don't know. Supper was on the table. Lunch was on the table. Supposed to meet somebody. Golfed. I don't know what it was. I don't know. But he walked out. And, and when he walked between Johnny and I, Johnny was looking at me. We, we, we're locked. But when this guy walked between Johnny and I, he broke our gaze. When I got back, Johnny's head was down. To my knowledge, Johnny Trantham never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of his life. What we're about to do is serious. 
there are eternal decisions that are in the balance. So I want to encourage you to be prayerful. Seek what God wants to do through you, to you, for you, for me, for us, as we worship Him. Pray for your friend next to you. You don't know what they're going through. Pray for your husband. Pray for your spouse, wife. Pray, pray that God will speak to your kids. Pray that your neighbor that, that you don't like, that God will use you to, to live for them or live for Christ before them so that they go, what is that? And you can introduce them to Jesus Christ. How does God want to use these next few moments as we worship Him? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for who You are. Lord, I thank You that, that Christ says it very plain and very simple. There is no other name given under heaven by which men, women, and children must be saved. Lord, our enemy wants this to be a hard thing. He wants us to be something that when we as believers seek to, to, to just be led by the Spirit, that He distracts us, He deceives us, He tempts us, He isolates us. And you say, just seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Father, as a believer this morning, help me to, to figure out what I'm looking at. Eyes up, and everything else follows. Lord, there's some here this morning, very honestly, just very simply right now, I pray the Holy Spirit has permission to work in a life, a heart, a mom or a dad, a, a kid, a teenager, a college student. And very simply that, Father, the Holy Spirit would introduce them to the author of our faith, Jesus Christ. And they would call upon your name and be saved. Lord, speak. Add to your kingdom this morning according to your will. Add to this part of the body of Christ according to your will. And may it glorify you. And may Christ alone be lifted up. We pray that this morning in Jesus Christ's precious name.